2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Man, was I impressed, you know, by the inside of the defense, you know, with the defensive tackles and knowing that it starts up front on both sides, man. You know, defensive line and offensive line. So that was the spot that jumped out to me, you know, is the defensive tackles. And then the skill, you know, at receiver. And you have to have elite players on the edge for the matchup. So when they come, David, you know, that's when you got to go attack. So those would have been the two things that jumped out to me. I certainly you know played against the club so i know about more of the offensive players and game planning and studying but uh this receiving group you know really had skill and they would test you and push you and find matchups and so that to me of guys uh that's where it stood out to me first the new head coach of the
3: Washington commanders dan quinn speaking to the dc media earlier today talking about what drew him to this roster what stood out about the personnel that going to be key Moving forward as he does his best to try to retool and recalibrate things here in Washington. It's the youngest in charge, Ruben Leneau Willingham, here with you on this Monday night edition of Overtime. We're joined by our our pal Grant Paulson, who's out at Stadium Swim at Circa, out in Vegas at the Super Bowl. GP, going to stick with us here through the 8 o'clock hour. Grant, we teased it going into the break. Dan Quinn, you know, calling this a recalibration instead of a retool because he feels know, pretty strongly about some of the guys currently under contract with this football team. Washington, going into this offseason, has 26 unrestricted free agents. Of the guys currently under contract, GP, who would you consider a cornerstone foundational piece? Or or do they have any, even, in your opinion?
4: Yeah, they've got a handful of guys that I think could become that. Uh, A couple that already have proven themselves as that. So, first and foremost, Terry McLaurin what he's meant not only to the organization, he'll be out here in Vegas this week being honored as one of the Walter Payton Men of the Year uh, nominees for the National Football League. Just a consummate professional, dealt with a lot of mediocre or worse quarterbacking and turmoil off the field. Uh, he's a building block for sure. He's a legitimate uh, starting wide receiver in this league. I kind of hope they go get an X, you know, someone who can yeah. start opposite him, kick Jahan Dotson in the slot, make his life a little bit easier. But, McLaurin's outstanding, and you heard Dan Quinn today when he was asked about the talent they had. He started with the D-tackles, and then he went to wide receiver. So I would put McLaurin right there at number one. And then both of the D-tackles are in this conversation. That's Payne, who I thought regressed after getting paid, which was my big fear uh, this season. Not to say he didn't play at a high level. He did. He was very good. But he didn't put up the same numbers and sacks aren't everything. But he didn't have the same pass rushing impact that he did a season ago. And then John Allen. Assuming Allen wants to be here isn't going right. to ask for a raise, doesn't want a new contract, happy to play on the contract that he signed a couple years ago, then you could just go into the season with both of those two guys at D-tackle, McLaurin at wide receiver, feel good about them as your best players. Next tier down's probably Cam Curl. What are you doing with him? One of the better young safeties in the league. Does he get paid? Does he hit the market? Do they tag him? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they lock him up? I mean, th- these are all things they got to figure out. I would put him on the short list of their best players. And then they've got a lot of guys that I think are questionable in terms of, like, how good are they? Mm-hmm. But I think they got a chance to be outstanding. That's Jahan Dotson, who took a step back this year in BNME's offense. You know, that is some of the young defensive backs, whether that's Martin, who flashed like a strobe light as a second rounder. Forbes who was drafted in the first round. I mean he looked terrible for most of the year, yeah. right? Didn't look like he could play, but is that really who he is or was that just a bad situation? We're going to find out. I'd put those guys in that group uh, as kind of the best of the rest in terms of sheer upside moving forward. Yeah.
3: I agree with you 100%. I know one thing that, you know, DQ and Adam Peters continue to talk about is how important it is to build things from the inside out, talking about the offensive line and defensive line. Uh, we heard DQ highlight John Allen and Deron Payne, two just phenomenal defensive tackles. But as you alluded to, GP, took a step back this year, both of them, right? Deron, from a production standpoint, uh, I think took a step back. I think he was still impactful as a pass rusher, but you know, clearly not the numbers that got him paid. And then John Allen, that to me is the biggest question mark moving forward with this football team because while – yeah, we heard from him at 106.7 The Fan versus Team 989 saying that he wants to be here and that Adam Peters and company have already reached out. There's a lot of time between now and the start of training camp. And you alluded to, you know, John potentially, you know, asking for money this offseason, wanting to tear up that contract. GP, if you remember, when he initially signed that contract, we were talking about it here locally like, wow, seemed like a pretty team-friendly deal at the time. Do you think he signed that contract, Grant, thinking about this year coming up when he could potentially go back and ask for some more money? As we've seen that D tackle market continue to be reset.
4: Well, maybe. I mean, that's how these contracts often go. But I think a lot of times it just depends on what happens with the market. The fact for him is number one, a guy on your own team that you've been better than for almost your entire career got paid more than you. <laughs> so that makes it weird, yeah. you know. And I said that when they paid pain, it doesn't. Doesn't mean they shouldn't have paid Payne, although I would You can make no, the
3: argument that right, they shouldn't uh, have, that, that, and that based was on Jaff and Phil Mathis.
4: Sure, and that was my argument at the time, right? was, you know, offense is more important to me than defense. I'm not paying 2D tackles. It means you can't pay either of the defensive ends probably. We don't need to re-legislate that. But right. the point is, if you're Allen, you're going, wait a second. Stack up my production every single year next to Payne's. He makes more money than me, so that in and of itself. Think about the radio station. If someone does right. the same job as you and you do it better and have garnered better results, you probably want to be paid similarly and you know, as much or more than them. So that's just normal, just life. Um, but on top of that, it's not just pain. It's the whole market, as you said, it absolutely exploded, and this is what happens. You know, part of my frustration sometimes as a mm-hmm. pro player guy is when players go through the cafeteria line, get their food, and sit down, and then. They see everyone else go through the line behind them, and they put something else, you know, out, and now they want to get right back in line. Well, it's well, like, no, no, my no, no, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, you just did this, right? You know, th- this is frustrating, but it is part of the business. So, I don't think it was some premeditated plan that you know we're going to definitely want a new contract before this year. That is somewhat common, but I think when you see that. The guy next to you that you've outperformed is making more. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, the numbers have all changed massively. He now looks like a bit of a bargain, to be honest Honestly,
3: He does, and that's why I think the conversation is so relevant about him potentially wanting to go back to the drawing board and say, hey, look, can I get some guaranteed money on this contract? All of a sudden, GP, this has turned into a conversation about John Allen. <laughs> we want to take their calls, though. 1-800-636-1067 is the number. Uh, who are the can I say real quickly,
4: ahead. before you move on, mm-hmm. uh, because the, one, yeah, you, you, you just said the point that's really, really significant in, in the whole deal here, which is no guaranteed money left. Yeah. That's, I think people need to understand you know, how big of a deal that is for players. Yes. That you get hurt, something serious happens, like the rest of that contract they can get out of. That changes everything. And John Allen, when he got paid, you know, was in a really good spot. He has I believe it's the eighth highest overall amount of money at seventy two million. But that's monopoly cash. Like right. that doesn't really matter that much in the NFL. All of a sudden now you've got Donald making thirty one, Williams making twenty four, Jeffrey Simmons at twenty three and a half, Payne at twenty two five, Lawrence at twenty one eight, Forrest Buckner at twenty one. This, this is the
3: reason right where i if I'm Washington and Adam Peters and I'll just get to it, I may consider moving on. No one else has two guys in the top 10 at the same position or at this position. It's not the way teams, you know, traditionally go out and try to build their team. Who would you so, shop, Payne or Allen? I mean, Payne's younger, but he yes. obviously, John Allen's contract is probably more movable as well. I want to get into John a little bit deeper here, Grant. And I want to get your thoughts on this because football is a very... Multi-layered sport is how I would put it. Right there's there's leadership, there there's playing on the actual field, and there's culture. Someone like you who's been inside of these NFL locker rooms really understands this. If I'm Washington, I'm looking at John Allen, big picture here, and I'm me personally as a fan, and I know other people may agree or disagree. From a leadership standpoint, I expect more out of John Allen, especially when he's the one that's the rah-rah guy, getting people ready, you know, pre-game. I, I want him to hold his teammates accountable more moving forward. That's something I felt like he lacked, Grant, and I understand that's a you know difficult balance to try to strike within an NFL locker room, but there were talks of Chase Young not being willing to put his hand in the ground. Guys weren't rushing with gap integrity. As the captain of that defensive line, as the highest-paid player of that defensive line before Payne got his money, I want John Allen to be the guy getting in people's face saying, hey, look, it starts with us. We're the straw that stirs to drink for this defense If we don't do it and if we don't set the standard, how can we expect everyone else to fall in line?
4: Well, first, we don't know that he wasn't doing that, in fairness. Okay, right. Right.
3: I'll I'll give you that.
4: Yeah, so a lot of that's behind the scenes. I don't want him calling guys out publicly. So he may well have been doing that. Also, I just don't know how much of that happens at this level in the National Football League. To me, that feels more like something you do at Alabama. In other words, Mm -hmm. these are grown-ups and these are pros. So I'm not saying you can't tell your boys to get in line. Or The part of that he could definitely do is, if you're in the second quarter of a game where you're getting worked and no one's making any plays, you can get people going. And we've seen him do that on the sidelines, in fairness. We've seen him in pain get into it. We've seen him shouting before. I mean, that wouldn't be new. But should he get after Chase Young because of how he's rushing. or I'm, I'm not sure, and I could be off base, but in my time around locker rooms, I'm just not sure if that's how it works at this level. Oftentimes that's fair. You know, players are on each other's side more than they are kind of working on behalf of the staff, right. but I certainly get your point. Leadership significant, and if you want to be paid at the top of the depth chart, you, know, you want to make the big money and kind of be the guy giving the speech at the 50-yard line on the logo before the game, then you're going to have to answer some tough questions when your peers aren't holding up their end of the bargain. As to what did you do to kind of get things going? And I get that
3: for sure. Let's go to Jesse in Arlington. wants to tap in on the cornerstone pieces of the Washington Commanders? What's going on, Jesse?
0: Hey guys, how's it going? Good. So I would say honestly, right now we've got three. And when I view a cornerstone player. I view them as someone who can make the people around them better. And I would say the three are John Allen, Deron Payne, and Terry McLaurin. Those are the guys who, ever since they've been here, they've, I mean, I'll admit, like, John Allen's been more consistent than than Deron Payne. But Deron Payne blew up the year before last. And, you know, listening to B. Mitch and J.P., after I kind of listened to one of their shows, I agree with them. I really do not think Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera were using them the right way last season or this past season. And they just, like, they are two guys from great colleges at Alabama, played together at Alabama, then came here. And however they were used last year was just not right. They were doing the same thing over and over again, and it just was not working, and they were not changing anything. With Terry, he's been nothing but consistent, and last year he barely got over a thousand yards. And kind of like my sub two guys that are like right below them that I think could be better are probably like and I know you guys quoted like the what you were looking for were guys who are under contract. First on that list, I'd be I'd say Cam Curl. I yeah. think he needs to get paid. I and again, as someone who's constantly like a big fan of this team, who's seeing not just first-round draft picks, but just draft picks in general, going to other places and continuing to develop and be better. You know, again, with a guy like Dan Quinn, who led the league, I think Dallas led the league in takeaways last year, I would love to see him scheme up some things to give Cameron Curl more of an opportunity to do that. And because his rookie season, I think he had a few takeaways. And then since then, it's just been like
3: nothing. Yeah, ball production's lax least- since then, Jesse. We appreciate the call as always. I mean, I think Jesse brought up an interesting point, GP. And we've talked about this at nauseum. They didn't do a lot. They didn't play the games up front that we saw other teams play on, like the Giants and the Cowboys. They weren't, you know, uh, uh, impacting other teams, uh, you know, protections the way that, you know, Dallas was. So we expect Dan Quinn and company to come in and do that. But I go back to the team-building philosophy of paying those two interior guys. And I know it's revisionist history here, but God, you would have loved to keep Montez Sweat because while it's good that you got two foundational pieces at defensive tackle, it just feels redundant to me. And I don't see any other team in the National Football League building their team that way. They need edge more right now than they need interior defensive tackle help. I wonder if that conversation comes up over the next couple of months.
4: Totally. But this is also to the credit of this ownership group. This is why they decided, Linnell, that they were not going to retain either one of those defensive ends at the trade deadline. And it's not to say that they don't believe in pass rushing. Of course, everybody knows you have to get to the quarterback. But because there were two contracts already given out on that defensive line, They did not want to make it three, and they didn't want to take away from the cap flexibility and the amount that could be spent on offense and other key positions. So I give them a lot of credit for that foresight. I don't know how much Eugene Shen, as an example that came in here, helped shape their vision in that regard. But in talking to people at that time, right after the deadline, it was a decision made Buy ownership to say we will not be sinking more into this defensive line before we know what our GM envisions for the team, what the head coach is going to want. Now, would you like to swap out one of the two D tackles for Sweat? Yes. Of course. This was my point when they paid Duran Payne. Again, we don't need to re legislate this, but <laughs> I, I yeah, I would rather that's twenty two and a half mil. That's AAV. You're three million away from from Sweat at that point. So yeah. Yeah, I think you should have paid one tackle and one end. They didn't. They don't have a defensive end now. That's an impact edge rusher. That's a massive and critical need. They got to address it. Whether it's free agency, I'm not sure you're going to shop in the, you know, the the, the rich person's basket and try mm-hmm. to go get Josh Allen. But you you got to bring someone in here who can go get you, you know, ten or eleven sacks this year at a defensive end position and consistently win one on one. On the edge. If you don't do it in free agency, then you're going to have to use one of those top 40 picks that isn't pick number two yeah. on an edge rusher. Like right now, the way I see the draft unfolding, just based on where the value is in the first couple of rounds from mm-hmm. the people that I ask about this that know what they're talking about, I think they're going to go quarterback at two, and then I think their other two picks in that you know, 34 and 40 range, whatever it is, uh, that's going to be a defensive end and a wide receiver. If not, a receiver maybe a tight end, but I would be surprised if they don't get a receiver there because I'm telling you this receiver class is unbelievable. Bananas.
3: Bananas. And I agree with you on that. And I think to to the point that you're making about the receiver class, I think you could say the same about this offensive tackle class. And I think that's where Cliff Kingsbury and company are going to have to have a meeting of the minds and decide what's the more pressing need uh, come April. Uh, We're trying to, Figure out the foundational pieces here in Washington. Dan Quinn called this a recalibration, not a rebuild. What pieces moving forward here that are already under contract do you think are foundational pieces? We'll continue to take your calls on that. 1-800-636-1067 is the number. Plus, when we come back, we'll reset things here quickly. Eric enemy not retained by this Washington Commander's coaching staff, what does it mean to you, and how would you sum up his time here in D.C.? Your calls next there on The fan.
2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: 1-800-636-1067 is the number on the MGM National Harbor listing lines. You can tweet at me as well. It's at N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P. It is at Grant H. Paulson for old GP who's joining overtime tonight. He's with us till 9 o'clock live from Stadium Swim at Circa in Las Vegas. GP out there for Super Bowl week and Grant You were talking about your cool setup earlier. I'm envious of it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We know the old saying. But now that we're talking ball, Dan Quinn introduced today as the head coach uh, of the Washington Commanders. Talked about this being more of a recalibration in in comparison to a rebuild. I think you made a tremendous point earlier talking about how it was refreshing, right, that Dan Quinn can have that mentality because he is just the head coach, not the head coach and the general manager Uh, like Ron Rivera was when he was here in D.C., but obviously we know for this thing to get turned around as quickly as possible, they're going to need some of their guys in-house to take a massive step forward and play up to their draft position uh, and contract status. The question we're asking you all out there, who are the cornerstone foundational pieces of the Washington Commanders? They have 26 free agents coming up uh, this offseason. We talked about Deron Payne and John Allen at nauseum. But who are some other guys that you would consider foundational pieces? 1 eight hundred six three six one zero six seven 636 1067 is the number. Let's go out to James in Warrington. What's going on, James?
0: Hey, Linnell. what's going on? What's going on, man? Hey, um, as for me, I have my I have four foundational pieces.
4: I have Terry McLaurin, John Allen, Brian Robinson. And I was gonna say Cam Crow, but he's not under contract, so I I guess I have to go with Ron Payne. And um, uh, I, I guess I could should explain why. Uh, yeah, Brian Robinson not only is he a very good runner, but he proved that he can be a huge factor in the passing game as well. He took a big step forward there. You know, Terry McLaurin, he's going to dominate no matter what he does, no matter how the season goes. And then you know, John Allen, he's your anchor. He's the guy you really need to build your defense around. And DeRon Payne,
0: he, he's kind of like the more explosive one between the two. But yeah, I, I, that's who I have as the foundational pieces.
3: Hey, James, we appreciate your call, as always. GP, James brings up someone that really I thought was the offensive MVP for Washington this year, talking about Brian Robinson. James, before he got hurt, right, he missed a, a couple of games toward the end of the season I, with what I believe was a quad injury or a hamstring injury, rather. He was amongst the top five in running backs in the National Football League in terms of receiving yards. So while we were critical of Eric Bieniemy's play calling, him unlocking b Rob. The the pass catcher I thought was a huge revelation this past year.
4: Oh, it certainly was. Yeah. We saw that at training camp, didn't we? No, right away. For sure. You said, Okay, they're gonna use him more. And also I was just really taken aback with how sharp he was out of the backfield. Yeah. Ability to break guys down with some footwork. Maybe not as much a, a technician as a route runner, but like when he would run some of the choice or Texas stuff or those arrow routes, like he was able to separate a little bit from linebackers and for me it was just his hands were soft yeah I mean he's 24 he's thought of as this battering ram and he is I mean he is physical he's violent he's a thumper he's huge he's 230 ish pounds but you guys saw it all season long he can catch the football and they went from not involving him really in any way in that regard going back to his rookie year to him being a focal point at times he had Two grabs for forty plus. Yeah. You no, know, against Seattle, went for a buck twenty and a touchdown, uh, and really broke the game open early and, and gave them a chance to win a game against a good team that they ended up losing in the shootout. But I, I wouldn't put him in the building block category from the standpoint of him being. Like, you bring up this topic because you've referenced a lot that Adam Peters Mm -hmm. has his gold helmet players in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And your gold helmet guys are essentially faces of your franchise, really hard to replace, build the whole thing around. So your burgundy and gold helmet players here, Brian Robinson's an awesome role player. Brian Robinson is going to be a fixture in the backfield. I think they should let Gibson walk. I don't do – Daddy don't do – (laughs) Daddy don't do second contracts for running backs. Okay, okay? I hear it. This is is irrefutable. This is – I am one of my firmest stances. Even at a bargain, GP? Well – I mean, it's going to be at a bargain because he hasn't really proven it. But, no, I mean, you know, if it's a special running back, we can talk about it. Uh, You can replace Antonio Gibson. There's guys like that on most rosters. So uh, you don't need to bring all of them back. I I need someone who's different than Robinson and Rodriguez. But I guess my point is if we're opening up the door now to here's a guy who's really good in this role, Mm -hmm. they got a bunch of guys like that, like that tier of player. I actually think they've got – a a good amount of players that they've drafted, developed, that tier isn't the problem. We're talking about the, you're calling it your gold helmet players? (laughs) Yeah, he's not on that level for me. He's a good player. He averaged 4.1 yards per carry last year, 3.9 the year before that, four for his career. He's fine, and I like him a lot. I want him involved, but he's not going to be stringing together Pro Bowl appearances or winning all pro nominations.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, right? I just think he was – Really impactful last year and and seeing him, you know, expand his game to to catching the football out of the backfield, I thought was cool to watch, but I do agree. He's probably one of the second-tier guys on this Washington roster. We're talking about breakout players or cornerstone players, rather, uh, for the Washington Commanders moving forward. Who does Dan Quinn and company already have circled as guys that they can build around uh, moving forward? Let's go to Mike in Falls Church. What's going on, Mike?
0: Hey, I just want to disagree with the last – Little bit there, you know, he was running behind a non-existent line, and he's still averaging 4.1 yards per for carry. I think that's the stat was that was just thrown out there. If you're going to be building around people, first of all, they're going to be young and getting better. They're not going to have plateaued and been getting worse like you see with Allen and Payne. Uh, Terry McLaurin is getting to be that age where wide receivers fade. These aren't people you build around. They're people you appreciate and you feel really badly for Terry McLaurin that he never had a, a team that could get him to the Hall of Fame where he actually belonged but right now I think the only player that you can rely on and he's shown this and it seems like age doesn't matter at this position is Tressway
3: but <laughs> well, you're not going to hear me or GP say anything negative about our guy Trust. that's for sure
4: one of the MVPs yeah. for this team
3: for a long time For sure Mike we appreciate the call I think that's It's always funny when fans bring up Tressway because I feel like they're being facetious, right, Grant, when they do that because he's a punter. But he has, for what it's worth, been one of the models of consistency uh, here in D.C. 1-800-636-1067 is the number on the MGM National Harbor list line. Me and GP taking your calls on who are the cornerstone foundational pieces under contract here in Washington. We'll continue to do so on the other side of this break. Plus, we'll continue to dive into Dan Quinn's introductory press conference as the head coach here in Washington. He said a lot during today's presser, gave some insight on Eric Biennium and his future with the team. We'll let you hear that next here on The Fan. It's overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. We're always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge, Will, with Willingham, alongside my pal Grant Paulson, who's live out at Stadium Swim at Circa uh, out in Vegas for the Super Bowl GP Kind enough to give us some of his time. We'll rock with us till 9 o'clock tonight. Grant, we'll talk about the big game before we get, before we get you out of here because I want to get your take on Chiefs and 49ers and what this could potentially mean for the legacy of one Patrick Mahomes. But right now, I uh, want to continue to talk about the Dan Quinn introductory press conference, a massive day here in D.C. Dan Quinn being officially introduced as the next head coach here in D.C. And obviously the Ron Rivera era didn't go the way that you know, a lot of us here anticipated it going, and one of the shortcomings that Ron Rivera had was the inability to get things right on the offensive side of the football. It was thought that bringing in former Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy last year, that was supposed to be, you know, the reclamation project, right, and how Washington would get this offense back on the right track. Uh, obviously, we know the Eric Bieniemy experience didn't go uh, as promised and, and as planned here in D.C. Dan Quinn earlier today Uh, gave some insight into the future of Eric
1: Biennemi here in Washington. You know, I had a good visit, uh, Chick. I'm glad that you brought up EB because um, I think he's an excellent coach. And so I had a chance to visit with him uh, today. And so we'll continue that dialogue to go he's, you know, no longer we're not going to work together here. But in this coaching brotherhood, I wanted him to know uh, man, I really respect the work that he's done. And uh, as coaches, you know, we all stay connected even though we're on different teams. So I wish EB nothing but the best and uh, he'll do a great job. I was really uh, pumped that he took his shot this year and went for it and so, I've got a lot of respect for him.
3: I mean, how do you not love Dan Quinn, by the way? I know the answer may not be what some people wanted, but it was so sly and smooth, GP, the way he said, Yeah, I had a lot of respect for him. We won't be working together here. Well, this <laughs> is what classy
4: organizations do. Right. First of all, he, he just said, we fired Eric Bieniemy.
3: Yeah, but you couldn't tell, right? Exactly. Did it sound like that? No, you know, right, like, right. I
4: love this guy. Man, is he a good coach. Wow, he's awesome. You know? Someone's going to be so lucky to have him. By the way, he won't be coaching on my staff. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, I mean, stick aside, that's what a good organization, classy, dignified, legitimate, credible people do. You don't beat the guy up on his way out the door. You don't right. need to explain why you're doing it. Everything he said was above board there, so I was I loved that answer. I thought that was a window into Dan Quinn, to be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. Right?
3: Yeah, for sure. We we know that you know he was well regarded as a, as a really good people person and someone that can bring you know a bunch of different personalities together and really galvanize a locker room. That really being an example of it, as you mentioned, just a classy move and a classy gesture on his behalf, but. When we look at the meat and potatoes of this thing, GP, ultimately Cliff Kingsbury going to be the OC here in Washington. They have to continue to build out the rest of that offensive staff, but Eric B no longer going to be here. Where do you think things went wrong with EB grant? Cause I remember when it was announced that he was going to be the OC, I was smiling ear to ear and I thought he was going to help elevate this group uh, into a top half of the league offense, but obviously a multitude of different circumstances stop that from happening. From your vantage point, GP, how would you sum up the Eric Biennium era here in Washington? Why do you think things went wrong?
4: Well, as it worked out, I'd say, Lanell, working back from the result. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say he bet wrong, as I'm sitting here in a casino in Vegas. <laughs> at stadium swim in Circa, which is just gorgeous, as now night has fallen on Las Vegas, everything's lit up, the screens are unbelievable, I got 20 games going on, and the largest outdoor screen in America in front of me, but I think what happened was, first of all, it's important to note he was not going back to Kansas City, whether he was coming to Washington or not. Right. I saw Robert Griffin today. He tweeted something along the lines, and Shocker. I'm suggest I'm a su- <laughs> sure he has suggested it on television as well. Yeah. But essentially, Eric B. should have stayed in Kansas City. He shouldn't have come to Washington. Well, the, the way I understand what happened. He was not going back to Kansas City anyway. His contract was up. Right. They were not bringing him back, not because they don't like him. They were turning things over to Matt Nagy, and for about a year, he and Andy Reid had decided the way forward, best for you, is to leave and basically get out of the nest, man. Go fly. Now, the problem was there weren't any other O.C. jobs available. So what would have happened if he didn't get the last remaining O.C. job with Washington? I don't know. Yeah. Does he become a quarterback's coach somewhere? Does he sit out? Would the Chiefs then have brought him back on a new one-year deal? They'd already kind of decided that Nagy was going to be their guy. I'm not sure, but I didn't view this as he left a great situation. He could have just kept doing that in perpetuity. I think the Chiefs were moving on, and so he was looking for a gig. Hmm. And Andy Reid and Ron Rivera are very good friends, and Andy Reid kind of finagled with Rivera that path. So that all said – I don't know how many options he had, but assuming he had others, and I just don't think there were many because this was not a good option, you chose a lame duck season with a head coach on the precipice of probably losing his job if he didn't win a playoff game, which never looked likely, and a quarterback situation where the fifth-round neophyte had never done it before. So where did he go wrong? Well, you had to have a great offense and or be a part of a team that won in the playoffs. And neither of those things was ever realistic. That's not an EB take. That's just the way it is. So that would be my first thought. And then we could get into, as the year went on and Mm -hmm. they played better defenses, things got off the rails, they didn't play well, Hal didn't progress, he regressed as the season went on, your best wide receivers had worse years this year than last year. Uh, You name it, it didn't go well. You didn't elevate your offensive line. Uh, You know, where should we pick up? But the fact is... It was, is it a raw deal? Probably, yeah. But yeah. he chose to come here knowing the score.
3: And that's more so of what I wanted to ask you. Like, for, for someone had a great line on Twitter, Grant, that I thought was amazing. They said, Washington, right, is sort of like the, the reverse car wash. You come in clean and you leave dirty. Knowing Enemy's track record and the way he, people were gushing over him, you know, off seasons prior about him potentially getting a head coaching job, is it fair? Right. If he doesn't get an opportunity after Washington, considering the circumstances that he had to deal with, and you'd laid some of them out, the one that I feel like we don't talk about enough. And, you know, whether this played in the favor of Ron Rivera or not is a whole nother discussion. Jacoby Brissett, right, when he was supposed to start against San Francisco, took the media and spoke to people on Wednesday. And the first thing that came out of Jacoby's mouth was he expected to compete for the starting quarterback job. I know it's all speculation at this point, but how, how much of of the quarterback situation do you think impacted EB, and do you think he maybe wanted to go with Jacoby to better showcase, you know, his play calling ability?
4: Well, there's no doubt. I mean, the quarterback situation was the whole ball game. Yeah. In terms of did it impact him or not, every coordinator in this league either gets praised or a, a better job as a head coach because their quarterback balled out. See Bobby Slowick. And, right. CJ Stroud, right? See Ben Johnson and Jared Goff, like th- that is a no-brainer. Now, did he want to go with Jacoby? I doubt it. My guess is if he wanted to go with Jacoby, they would have. He called a lot of shots this year. Like, let's no but, make but no that, mistake but that's about the
3: thing, it. GP, do we do we know that? Because like. They, they he told them when the to process. practice. They
4: practiced to eat. Right. If I think if Ron Rivera had more influence on the offense, they wouldn't have thrown it 75% of the <laughs> well, time. That's, yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if Scott Turner went two games doing what Eric enemy did, <laughs> Scott Turner would get called into the principal's office and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd get o- put over Uncle Ron's lap because <laughs> Ron and, and Norv were <laughs> right. buddies all those years. Right. And Ron would give him a spanking, you know. And I'm kidding a little bit, but my point <laughs> right. is. How many times did we see that where it's like, I oh, know. I guess Ron talked to Scott this week? <laughs> it just didn't happen this year. So yeah. I really do believe that. Now, could he have made the quarterback move like unilaterally or just gone to Ron in week four and said, hey, I want Jacoby? No, I don't think that. But right. at the beginning of the season, if he didn't think Sam was ready, I think they probably could have played Brissette. But what you're getting at, and to your point is... Mm-hmm. I told Danny this today. We, we kind of came to this conclusion. Here's the argument for EB, in my opinion, Lanell, mm-hmm. as far as, hey, I can do this. My offense can work. This year was was not authentic. I believe it was five drives for Brissette and five touchdowns. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a to pretty good with. selling point if you're being to to yeah. say, it wasn't me, it was them. It wasn't me, it was him or whatever. And I'm not saying that's true. Like, it's a small sample and kind of fluky because you were down a bunch and teams were in prevent. But – that is what I would be saying if I was him or his agent God. as I was trying to get a gig.
3: God, I like how you slid that in there. The teams were in prevent event Come on, GP.
4: Well, I mean, you, you're, he came into games when teams are up 20-some points. I mean, yeah, you game. can move the
3: football easier. The Jets game, they were. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. It's revisionist history at this point. But big picture. Were
4: they not down in the Jets game when he came in? They were Didn't down. Didn't he bring them but- back majorly? It was like, I don't remember the exact points, but – I mean, it was like three touchdowns unanswered to tie the game, or whatever it was. And,
3: and to your point, they, he put them in position to where they were about to win that football game. So the Jets couldn't have been playing prevent the whole time. Is what? Well,
4: I'm no, but to my point is, you had a guy come off the bench when when a defense was. A, it's like the equivalent of no doubles in baseball, right? We're not giving anything long up, make them earn everything. Okay, cute, fine, whatever. There was not ever a time where we really saw Jacoby Brissett playing for Washington for more than a drive or whatever, where. Uh, it's it's even Steven, and we're just playing football. It, w- it was always that frantic John Beck coming off the bench 7 of 9 oh, for 75 God. yards because Rex Grossman me. got benched, and Shanahan saying he'll do this next week.
3: Hey, hey, Grant, it's funny that you brought up John Beck. Doesn't this year remind you of that time Mike Shanahan tried to sell us on John Beck versus Rex Grossman? Feels eerily similar to in my opinion, the way this year went under center. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
4: uh, 20 of who? Now you're going. Now you're giving me some PTSD going come back on, to my, my time covering that team on the beat.
3: <laughs> Plenty more to get to with Grant Paulson. we got one final segment with our pal uh, here on The Fan. We'll talk about the big game when we come back. The Chiefs clearly, in my opinion, feeling the loss of offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. They made it to the Super Bowl, though. Question I want to ask you, Jeeps, on the other side of this break. What does a Super Bowl win do for the legacy of one Patrick Mahomes? That's next here on The Fan. It's overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. We're always streaming live nationally on that free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge, movement. Linnell Willingham, alongside my pal Grant Paulson for one final segment who's live out at Stadium Swim at Circa. He's got a monster view uh, for Super Bowl week. GP, we've talked all things Dan Quinn for the majority of your two hours with us. I want to look big picture here at the big game coming up on Sunday here for a second. 49ers and Chiefs. Uh, Two teams that honestly kind of mirror each other in terms of, you know, their play styles right now this season. I know Kansas City has taken a pretty significant step back offensively, and that defense, Grant, uh, has been amongst the best in the National Football League. Want to get your thoughts on the game, obviously, but let's start with Patrick Mahomes here because I've just been really impressed with this run in particular for him, right? Obviously, you lose weapons offensively in free agency, Travis Kelsey was nicked up at points during the year. And it really felt like for a majority of this season, they didn't have a legit number one wide receiver. He had, Pat talking about Pat, he had his own shortcomings throughout the regular season. But here within this last month, and really since the start of the postseason, he's playing uh, at that special Patrick Mahomes level.
4: Yeah, this is the best we've seen him. And yeah. Not in terms of quality of play or, or numbers, but... He has less around him than ever. Yeah, And sure. they're still here. <laughs> Think about Crazy. it. I mean, it, it, they are a defense and run game kind of yeah. operation now. Who would have thought? A lot, they remind me of, like, the Seahawks a little bit of yesteryear with Russ Wilson mm-hmm. where, you know, Russell make a play kind of thing. Mahomes makes big-time plays both with his feet and with his arm. But it's the Isaiah Pacheco show. They have two guys that are legitimate – formidable weapons on offense in the yeah. passing game. And that's Kelsey, one of the greatest tight ends to ever live, and Rasheed Rice, who's come on really, really well. But to go on the road mm-hmm. and to win the Buffalo game, I thought, was fortuitous. You know, starting with the Dolphins, the Dolphins had run out of defensive ends. They were literally yeah. signing, like, 38-year-old <laughs> defensive ends. thought <laughs> I was
3: going to get a call, GP.
4: And you were about to. <laughs> Uh, And, look, so that was a favorable matchup. It worked out for them. Terrible weather, you know, in terms of how cold it was for Miami. So they should have won that game at home. Then you go to Buffalo, and I kind of wiped that one away, too, and said good win, impressive, but Mm -hmm. they had two more days of rest than the Bills. I don't think enough people talked about that. That's just the second time it's ever happened in playoff history. Both of the teams that got shortchanged on rest lost decidedly, and the Bills gave everything they had. But, I mean, it's just too hard that late in the season with so many guys banged up to only have – You know, you're getting 48 less hours of rest. So then you look at the AFC title game, and there's no reason they beat Baltimore. None. (laughs) More talented, at home. Like, it's crazy. But this is where I got to learn a lesson before I make a lot of mistakes. I spent Tom Brady's entire career looking at the Patriots and going, oh, they're not as good as that team, or I don't like this part of the matchup, so I'm going to pick against them. And he was just one of those guys where if you bet against him, you're going to lose your money. And I think we're there with Mahomes at this point. You know, you can be wrong occasionally betting on him, but you just shouldn't bet against him and keep losing. <laughs> and in this game, I think the dichotomy of him and Purdy, and, and Purdy's played his butt off, scrambled for 50 yards in the second half this past week, Linnell. Like, <clears throat> looked awesome. really good making some plays to close the game. But he's really struggled throwing the football in the playoffs. Yeah, he has. And maybe it's, you know, there was one rain game in there, so it's a smaller one-game sample. But his rate of negatively graded plays by PFF on dropbacks, 23%. Uh, this play playoff is would have been the worst rate of all quarterbacks with 200 dropbacks in the regular season wow so i mean he has really struggled to this point in the year san francisco just from a smell point you know smell test standpoint if you look at it there are only a couple of examples since 2000 when teams were basically negative in playoff against the spread margin meaning The expectation to cover five, and and you only covered three, so you're minus two. Or you're you're plus four, and you you lose by seven, whatever. You're looking at teams like Kansas City last year was minus two and against the spread metrics. They obviously won. Seattle in 2014, New England in 07, both lost the game. So the 49ers just haven't quite lived up to the expectations. All that seems to have me leaning toward the Chiefs, even though I think the 49ers are the better team on paper.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I'm super impressed by what Pat was able to do this year with the lack of weapons, and I think the bigger story, it's crazy, right, Grant, this hiring cycle, all these defensive-minded guys getting, you know, chances, and uh, retread is I know, a word people hate to use, but we saw a couple of retread defensive guys. Now, what's talking about the job that Spaggs is doing, man. He's got that defense humming. Everyone was drooling over Mike McDonald and what he was able to do in that AFC championship. I think Spaggs matched him tit for tat and blow for blow it's just a really good football team that Kansas City has. I think you talked about their ability to find a running game to me has been what's so impressive about this postseason, and I think that's why they'll end up knocking off San Francisco. That's been an Achilles heel of this Niners defense all year long is giving up big gashes in the running game, sort of like a death by a 1,000 paper cuts. Can I get an official score from you, GP? I know it's not your official program that you do, Grant Danny, but can you can you give us – a point prediction here on the Super Bowl. I'll, I'll I'm going to give you my
4: here. early week lean here. Early okay? week lean. Give it to me. Uh this, this could change <laughs> as I'm out here in a sports book cranking out some numbers. Mm-hmm. But 24-20, I'm Ooh, thinking, okay. for the Chiefs. I do like the under in this game, by the way. Okay.
3: I like that. That's a very – Total right
4: now, I, last I saw was like 47-and-a-half, I think, something like that. Yeah. Um. Let, let's see. We're at Stadium Swim right here. Check my eyes. Yeah, I like the under right now. What do you got, Oster? Right now on the number, under yeah, I to me I'm thinking mid 40s. This yeah. game plays out first one to 25 wins kind of thing.
3: It feels like one of those one of those ugly type games where it's going to come down to Pat or Brock Purdy having to put together a late game drive to to push their team over the edge, and in that scenario, obviously. You got to go with Patrick Mahomes. I think I'll go with the scores similar to UGP, but I'll go a little bit lower. I think it's really low scoring. I agree with you. I'll go nineteen seventeen Kansas City. Wow. I think it's going to be a defensive. You got a pitcher's stool, bro. Yeah, I think it's going to be a defensive master class. I think San Fran and Steve Wilkes and company are hearing all the, the garbage being talked about their defense, folks questioning the effort. I think Bosa and company get up for a big game against Pat.
4: I could see it, man. I think. Both of these two teams are obviously built to play a strong game on defense. Spags has been the unsung hero. I'm not sure how the 49ers hold up against the run. If I was yeah. the Chiefs, I'd go outside heavy. You know, They're more of an inside power running game typically, but I'd like to see them go kind of some of that pin and pull stuff we've seen the last couple of rounds, Green Bay and Detroit against San Francisco. I don't think they can stop it. Yeah. So I think that would be my plan. But Kelsey's going to get his. Rice is going to get his unequivocally question for me is can Purdy protect the football number one and then defensively are the Niners able to turn Mahomes over because it just hadn't happened in these playoffs
3: Just hadn't happened and I wouldn't bet on it to happen GP well this was awesome Haven't got to do this much radio with you in my career to this point always fun working with you my friend we'll do it again soon
4: yes sir thank you Linnell enjoy the rest of the evening tell uh old cockadoodle do the rooster I said hello
3: <laughs> I will do man uh enjoy the week out there jeeps we'll talk soon be good bro that is Grant Paulson, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be honest with you, and I know the bell is normally saved for special moments on Grant and Danny, but can I just can I just ring the bell? Yeah, I know I go by the youngest in charge room, but I grew up listening to old Grant Paulson, so to get to do two hours of radio with my boy, definitely checking off something on the old bucket list. I want to get back out to the phones, though. Final hour of power coming up here on this Monday night edition of Overtime. 1-800-636-1067 is the number. Dan Quinn thinks that this is a retool instead of a rebuild. With that being said, if it's going to be a quick turnaround, we got to identify some cornerstone pieces already under contract here in Washington. We'll go to the phones once more to get your cornerstone players for the Washington Commanders. That's next on the fan.